name is Rachel Hutchcraft, and as some of you may know, um, I lost my dad pretty suddenly a few years ago, and up until that point, I had never really experienced loss in that way before. Um, we had never really lost anybody in my family that I was close with, um, and to this day, it's still the hardest thing I've ever had to go through. We all know that at some point we're going to die, that our lives are going to end, but um, I think when it happens to a loved one, you still can't help but feel blindsided by it or left just wishing there was some way you could have prepared yourself better for it. Um, and I remember going through so many different emotions when I first found out. Obviously shock at first, but um, soon after that feeling almost relieved because my dad had had such a hard life and I knew he wasn't struggling anymore. Um, but then also feeling guilty at the same time because I felt like I was handling it all so well. Um, I soon found out though that the reason I was handling it so well was really just because I wasn't dealing with anything. It's, uh, it's really easy to forget about the real issues when um, you're planning the funeral or you're going through all these things and cleaning out his house. Um, so it really wasn't until a few weeks later when we got home that um, it all hit me and I realized that I was going to have to um, move forward in life without my dad and I was going to have to go back to school and work and see all of my friends and um, I just began feeling really bitter and insecure and I started getting frustrated with all of my friends who still had their parents because I felt like they just had it so easy in life and um, sometimes I wanted people to ask me how I was doing and I wanted them to um, know how hard it was for me to still have to go on um, but then at other times I wanted people just to pretend like everything was fine and, and ignore it all. So I just wasn't really fair to anybody. And to be honest, I really didn't feel God working in the situation much at all. Um, I knew all the right things to say because I'd been in church my whole life. And, um, you know, God is good and uh, I'll have a great testimony out of this later. And so everyone thought I was doing a lot better than I was. Um, but really, I, I just felt like I was going through the motions and like I was a phony Christian. Um, but Caleb was so good about um, just helping me work through all the anger and um, encouraging me to talk to other women who had been through the same thing. And, um, and they were wonderful too. And uh, they helped me just kind of work through the stages of grief and just vent for a while. And, um, and then moved into uh, more where they were giving me tough love and um, having to give me some advice that I don't think I was really ready to hear at the time. Um, so it wasn't until a little while later that I was at home and just feeling really down that day. And um, I felt like that was the first time God really started like working on my heart and um, I began journaling a little and um, reading my Bible a lot more than I had previously and um, I opened it up to a passage in, in Philippians and I think it was the first time that um, I felt like I'd opened my Bible and God was speaking directly to me through his word and um, that you know like he was thinking of me when it was written and it's Philippians 1 21 through 26 and it says for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know I'll remain, and I will continue for progress and joy in the faith. Um, and that's kind of where I am now. Some days it's still really hard for me um, when I think about all the loss that I have. Um, you know, the fact that my dad will never get to meet his grandson or that um, I'll never get to hug him here on this earth again. Uh, but God has had so much grace for me and he's placed so many wonderful people in my life and reminds me daily through his word and through prayer of my purpose here. Um, and it is to be a light to others and it's to be a joy so that others may know him and desire to have eternity with him someday too. Um, and for a while, I, I wasn't able to see how God was working through all the heartache. But now looking back on it, I realize... Uh, that he has placed in my heart such a greater yearning for heaven than I ever had before. 
And uh, that's just an incredible gift because I think as Christians, it's really easy for us to um, forget what our prize is, to forget about what we get to look forward to after this life, and that is heaven, and it's going to be incredible, and we get to spend eternity with our with our Father, and um, I just look forward to the day that I get to meet my Heavenly Father and see my earthly Father again soon. Thanks to Rachel for that testimony. Have you noticed how Satan tries to discourage us? Wayne Smith is a retired preacher. He served more than 50 years at the church in Lexington, Kentucky, the Southland Christian Church. He says that discouragement is the biggest, most dangerous temptation that Satan brings against us. Think about that. Discouragement is the biggest, the most dangerous temptation that Satan brings against us. Maybe he's right. Satan knows that if he can get us discouraged, then we we become disabled in our service to the Lord. And he knows, too, that if he gets us discouraged enough, we can become disabled even to the point that we don't want to go on even with life. He wants to bring us down, and there is no one who is immune to his attacks. He attacks missionaries who commit their lives to serving Jesus. You think about these men and women who, who make such sacrifices. They go uh, across to far, far away places to serve Jesus. And yet you think about this, that the average length of time for a missionary on the field is less than five years. And a lot of that is because of discouragement. They get lonely and they have very little support and, and contact from people back home. They find themselves in a brand new culture. It's hard to adjust and learning the language is hard and, and conversions take time. Sometimes so many years it takes for people to begin to respond to the gospel. It's easy for those missionaries to get discouraged. I read recently of a fellow by the name of Adoniram Judson. Most of you probably are not familiar with that name. He was the first missionary from North America to travel overseas back in the early 1800s. He went to the country of Burma, which is in Southeast Asia. Today, that country's name is Myanmar. He was 25 years old when he went. Interesting, as I was reading his story, he was actually an atheist before he converted to Jesus. He lived a very worldly life. He was chasing after all that the world has to offer. And he found that, that it, it was just the pleasure was, was very short-lived. And so he turned his life over to Jesus. And when he did, he became a transformed Person, one of those rare individuals ready to devote the rest of his life to sharing Christ in a culture that was completely new to him. But Judson couldn't have even begun to imagine all of the discouragement that he would ultimately have to face. It took him seven years before the first person came to Jesus that he was ministering to. After 12 years of serving Christ, there were 18 converts. 
His work was was interrupted as he was thrown into prison because the Burmese were at war with the British and Judson was wrongly accused of being a spy. He endured 17 long months of terrible treatment in a cell that was overrun by rats. Every night he was hung upside down with only his head and his shoulders on the floor. He was near death several times. He wondered where God was. His wife would come and visit him, bringing with her their newborn child. Finally, he was released from prison in very poor health, but not long after he had been released, his wife and his child became ill and died. And by the way, this was the third child they had lost since they had gone to Burma. Judson nearly lost his mind during that period of grief. He wrote these words, God is to me the great unknown. I believe in him, but I find him not. Now I want you to take that story of Adoniram Judson and for, for just a few minutes put it on the shelf. We're going to come back to it here later in the sermon. But my point is, Satan loves to bring discouragement against us. He, he strikes against the missionaries. He strikes against preachers too. Did you know that the average preacher stays in a church for just three years? And the average time for a youth minister in the church is just 18 months. A lot of that is due to discouragement that Satan brings against us. Had a very interesting conversation here recently with my daughter Rebecca, who is just getting her feet wet in ministry. She's in Stillwater, Oklahoma. She was talking to me on the phone recently. She said, Dad, I have a question for you. I said, Okay, what is it? She said, Does it ever slow down? I said, what? What are, you, what are you talking about? This, this ministry, does it ever slow down? She said, I have lessons to write. I have, have people to visit. I have deadlines to meet. Does it ever slow down? And I, I said to her, no, Rebecca, it doesn't ever slow down. It never slows down. I said, that's why you have to stay connected to Jesus. If you do not stay connected to Him, then... then You run out of gas. That's why so many preachers burn out. I said, you have to stay connected to Jesus. He keeps refilling your cup. He replenishes your strength. But if you are trying to do all of this ministry in your own strength, you will burn out. You will get discouraged. Satan loves to bring discouragement against us, not just against missionaries, not just against people in ministry. He works on all of us and he has so many ways in which he brings discouragement against us. I think of it in this way. He has a quiver full of arrows. And if you can imagine this in your mind, on that quiver is written the words in bold letters, discouragement. And oftentimes, Satan will, as he wants to bring discouragement against us, he will take this quiver and he will put it, strap it on his back, and, and then he will reach into the quiver and he will pull out an arrow called hardship. 
And he will put that arrow into his bow and he will shoot that arrow at us, that arrow of hardship. That's what Rachel was just talking about in the video as she was sharing about her loss of her father recently. And I'm thinking of my own conversation with my mom just this last week and the context of my dad's passing. And I said, how are are you doing? And she said, it's getting harder. I, I miss him more and more. And many of you, if you've gone through that that circumstance in your own life, that hardship, you'll know what what she's talking about. He uses hardship. He uses the death of a loved one. He uses sickness. He uses unemployment and financial stress. He uses a broken relationship. The arrow that he wants to shoot at us oftentimes is that of hardship. It's taken out of the quiver of discouragement. He wants to bring us down. But I'm thinking of another arrow that he pulls out of that quiver and he puts it in his bow and oftentimes he points it at you and at me. It's that arrow of temptation. We talked about that last week. He sends temptation our way to try and bring us down. And when we give in to that temptation, he's right there to accuse us and tell us how no good we are. He wants to discourage us through temptation and he knows our weakest points at which to hit us. You know another arrow that he likes to pull out of that... that sheath, that quiver of discouragement, and he puts it in his bow, and he aims it at us. It's the arrow of people. People. He'll use people to say things or do things that hurt us. Or maybe they'll not say the things that we thought they should have said or, or they'll not do the things that we thought they should have done and we have to deal with those hurts. Sometimes that's in our own marriage relationship. Sometimes it's at work that we're dealing with people who hurt us. Sometimes it's, it's even in the church that we're dealing with people who have hurt us. Satan loves to use people to discourage us. And we saw in the movie a few weeks ago that sometimes people can say the most foolish things, can't they, to, to us when we're hurting? I, I think of another arrow that he likes to pull out of that sheath, that quiver of discouragement. It's the arrow of how about how about this the arrow of injustice when we feel like we've been done wrong when we've been treated unjustly it's so easy at that point to get discouraged do you think joseph had any of these arrows shot at him not all of them the arrow of hardship The arrow of temptation, the arrow of people, and the arrow of injustice, they were all shot at him. You remember from last week's sermon that that he was sold as a slave into Egypt by his brothers. He had not done anything deserving of that. And yet it was an injustice brought against him by people whom he loved. 
And he, he went into Egypt. He was purchased as a slave by Potiphar. And then from that point on, day after day after day, he was having to do manual labor that was very difficult. But it, he didn't complain about it. He did what he was asked to do. And Potiphar began to notice that, that this was a very special slave. He was of a different breed than what he had seen before. Joseph was one who worked hard. He was dependable. He was responsible. And he also noticed that ever since this guy had come into his household, into his operation, everything was running so much more smoothly and his profits were through the roof. So what did Potiphar do? He did what any smart person would do. He gave Joseph more responsibility and he put him in charge of his whole operation. And that was great until Mrs. Potiphar, you remember, Mrs. Potiphar, she started doing her thing. She was inviting Joseph to go to bed with her and when he refused her, then she turned the tables on him and accused him of rape. And it seems to me like every time Joseph turns around, the enemy has the bow with an arrow aimed right at him. He was trying to discourage Joseph. It was a real test for Joseph's character. He ended up in prison again for something that he didn't deserve. And here's a verse that I don't know if you've recognized it through the years as you've read through the book of Psalms. Chapter 105, verse 18, speaking of Joseph. David is speaking of Joseph. It says, they bruised his feet with shackles. His neck was put in irons. You think Joseph ever questioned God? <laughs> I'm sure he did. But I'm sure of this too. Joseph never let go of God. Amidst his hardship, amidst the temptations, amidst the injustice, he never let go of God. He decided to bloom where he had been planted. Instead of giving in to discouragement and becoming bitter, he chose to look up to God and he decided that he was going to shine ever more brightly amidst that dark dungeon. I don't know what Joseph was doing or not doing that got the jailer's attention. Maybe it was his attitude that was so different than any that the jailer had ever seen in any other uh, inmate. Maybe he was having a, a, a helpful spirit, an encouraging spirit towards the jailer, towards the other prisoners. Maybe, he, maybe it was that he wasn't complaining about the conditions. Maybe even, I don't know, maybe he liked the food in the jail. Maybe he was singing like Paul and Silas did over in Acts chapter 16. Whatever it was, Joseph had decided to bloom where he had been planted. He was shining out in that dark dungeon and the jailer's attention was grabbed and he decided to promote Joseph in that prison let me read to you from Genesis chapter 39 verses 21 through 23 but the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer 
The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. Again, think about this. Joseph was blooming where he had been planted. We jump from chapter 39 into chapter 40 and something very significant begins to happen. You see the providential hand of God beginning to work his plan in Joseph's life. Now, isn't it true? Oftentimes the wheel of God's plan can almost seem like it's in slow motion. You sometimes wonder if it's moving at all. And yet, God's timetable is different than ours. God's God's, uh, plan is, is far different than ours. He never has us far from His sight. He's always working on His plan. And we began to see that that plan working out in Joseph's life. The cupbearer to the king and the personal chef of the king are both thrown into the same prison in which Joseph is, is there. And we don't know why they've, they've got out of sorts in some reason, for some reason with, with the Pharaoh of Egypt. The text says that he was furious with them. It doesn't say why. But they both have landed in the clink besides Joseph. In chapter 40 of, uh, of Genesis, verse 4 says, The captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them, and he took care of them, and they were in confinement for some time. And one of the mornings in which they were there together, Joseph gets around, and he comes over, and he sees these two guys. They're sitting together. They're moping. They're, their chins are down. They're all dejected. They're sad. And Joseph says to them, What's wrong with you guys? Why are you so sad this morning? Well, to make a long story short, they each had a dream the night before, and it was a very troubling dream, and no one was there to interpret their dream for them. Now, if you remember the story, God can use dreams, God can interpret dreams, and He used Joseph to interpret these two men's dreams for them. And within three days, as Joseph had shared with them, this is what your dream means, within three days, both dreams had come true for the two men, just as Joseph had said. One, the cupbearer, he was was brought back to the Pharaoh's presence and, and he retained his job once again. The baker, on the other hand, though, was executed by hanging. And, and maybe you remember this. Joseph had said to the cupbearer as he interpreted his dream, he said, this is what's going to happen. Pharaoh's going to call for you to come back into his presence and you're going to continue to be his cupbearer. I want you to remember me. When you get back into Pharaoh's presence, will you tell him about me? I've been stuck here in this prison. I don't belong here. I've done nothing to deserve this. Would you put in a good word for me? 
And I would imagine Joseph had high hopes that this would be his get-out-of-jail-free card. The cupbearer would put in a good word for him. And soon life would be much better for him. But let me read to you the end of chapter 40, verse 23, and the first part of chapter 41, verse 1 of Genesis. It says, Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Now it happened at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. You see, not only did the cupbearer forget him, he forgot him for two full years. You think Joseph had a reason to be discouraged? (laughs) I think he had a pretty good reason to be discouraged. You realize ten years have gone by now? since he has been unjustly taken from his father and he's had so much injustice come his way. He's had the false accusation of Potiphar's wife come against him. He's had a a lengthy prison stay that he didn't deserve. The cupbearer has forgot him and left him there to rot in that prison. And yet Joseph is blooming where he has been planted. Let me ask you, how do you overcome discouragement? Every single one of us here today face struggles in our life. Satan pulls out that arrow and he aims it at you. Whatever its source is, whether it's hardship, whether it's temptation and you fall to it and he's there to accuse you, whether it's injustice, whether it's people that you're dealing with or, or, or there's, there's other arrows that come out of that quiver, I'm sure. But we all face discouragement. How do we overcome it? Let me give to you some insight from Scripture today. Number one, put your faith or your trust in God. And, and that's not new. That's, we talked about that every week of this series and I would I'll just give you a heads up probably every week we're going to talk about that because hardship comes our way pain and suffering comes our way it's through God putting our faith in God our trust in God God is bigger than what hardships we face we're not oftentimes bigger than those hardships but God is I love the little email that sent out was sent out this week over our church prayer chain. It was from Dean Irwin. I, if, you, if you get the church prayer chain, maybe you read this. I thought it's worth reading to you this morning because so many in our church deal with cancer. And this particular email says that this is, this is what cancer cannot do. It cannot cripple love. It cannot shatter hope. It cannot corrode faith. It cannot eat away peace. It cannot destroy confidence. It cannot kill friendship. It cannot shut out memories. It cannot silence courage. It cannot reduce eternal life. It cannot quench the spirit. Amen? I mean, cancer can... It can be that hardship that can be so burdensome and, and, and 
and discouraging to us, but we need to remember that there are a lot of things that cancer cannot do, and we must put our faith in God, not in ourselves, because we can't, do, we can't overcome cancer by ourselves. We can't deal with the burden that comes with cancer by ourselves, but God can, and we must put our trust in Him. And we've talked a lot about God's promises. There are so many of them in this book. We need to find out where those promises are and hold on to them. Now, if you have trouble finding those promises, all you got to do is come to me, one of, the, one of the elders, one of the other staff members. Just grab somebody close to you and say, hey, I need, I need some help. I need to find some promises that will help me get through the hardships of life. We'll help you find those promises. And that's what we need to hang on to those promises, to, to carry us through. And I got good news for you this morning. God never breaks one promise. You believe that? Let me read to you a verse I just run across here in the last couple of weeks. Joshua chapter 21, verse 45. As, as Joshua is having his last words to the people of Israel, as they're... They have entered into the promised land and all of the promised land has been divided up. Joshua is about to die and this is what he says to them. Chapter 21, 45, he says, Not one of the good promises which the Lord has made to the house of Israel failed. All came to pass. And I want you to know that's still his record today. Not one of his promises has ever failed. And they will get us through the hardships of life that we face. Joshua 1.9 is one of those promises. This is one of the promises that Joshua gave to them as they're getting ready to go into the promised land. And they're facing all of these enemies. He says, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And if He is with us, then that is all we need. Uh, note I didn't say it would be easy. Don't ever go away from here saying, well, the preacher is just living in a bubble. He doesn't understand. I've never said life would be easy. But I have always said to you, He will be with you. And He is enough to get us through. It doesn't matter what the hardship is. He is enough to get us through. Because He is able. And He is with us. And number two, you want to overcome discouragement? You must persevere. I saw Bob with his KC shirt on today, and Rick's got his tie on and blue, royal blue. How many of you watched the game, was it Tuesday night, the Royals, that 12-inning game? They would not give up, would they? It was one of the best games you could ever watch. They, they, no matter how down they got, 
They, they kept fighting and they kept clawing and they kept persevering and, and they wouldn't give up, give up after they'd been knocked down. And they wouldn't give in to discouragement. With You know, that's the way we need to be. When trials come our way, let's not give up. Let's hold on to God. Let's keep hold of Him. And every time we're knocked down, let's keep getting back up because the victory is ours. Joseph had a long time to wait. Think about this. He had 10 years that he would not give in to discouragement. And after all of these troubles that he had had and his hopes went high with that cupbearer thinking, surely he's going to put a good word in for me to to Pharaoh and I'm going to get out of this place it was another two years before he heard from Pharaoh cupbearer had completely forgot about him and yet Joseph just bloomed where he had been planted he persevered he never lost hope he would not give up He waited on God. And eventually, those wheels that were so slow in turning, they began to be realized. The plan of God began to be seen. Whatever you're going through, hold on to God and determine to persevere. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Here's, Here's a good passage for you. It says, we also rejoice in our sufferings. Well, how in the world are we going to do that? Why would we even think about doing that? Rejoicing in our sufferings? You've got to be kidding. Well, that's what Paul's saying. We rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character hope. Do you note the progression here? You have sufferings, which brings about perseverance, which brings about more character, which brings about hope. The promise of God that things are going to get better. And the next verse says, hope does not disappoint us. And so we persevere. This arrow, which comes against out of that quiver of discouragement, persevere. Hold on to Him. Have your faith in Him. And let me give to you a third point. Don't get overwhelmed with the present. Keep your eyes on the bigger picture. And, and I, I'll be the first to say that's easier said than done. And I don't mean to come across like I'm living in a bubble. But this is what we need to do. I told you I'd bring back Adoniram Judson to you, that missionary from Burma. Remember his story. He has spent 17 months in prison. And he has suffered so badly... And he gets out of prison and his wife and his little girl get sick and die. 
And, and the story that I was reading about him says that he dug a grave at the edge of the jungle and every day he would go and he would sit beside the grave. I mean, he was just that close to giving up. All he could see was the present darkness. The trials, the hardship that was so much bigger than what he was. He was blinded by the darkness. How can I go on? God, this isn't fair. But he heard the voice of God. And God is saying, Adoniram, I want you to get back to the work that you have been doing prior to your imprisonment. He, you know what he was doing in those seven years? He was translating, translating the Bible into the Burmese language. They did not have a Bible in their language. He had learned the language. And so he's, he's doing the, the hard labor of translating God's word into that native tongue. And he did get back to that work, and he finished that translation project. He was in Burma for over 40 years. And at the time of his death, I'm, I'm sure that he had no idea of the impact that his life's work would have upon the people of that land. I looked on the internet this week and I was trying to find out how many Christian people are in Burma. Over four million. Claim Christ as Savior. And every one of those four million people can trace their roots back to a man named Adoniram Judson, who wouldn't give up from discouragement. A man who, amidst so much darkness, in his life, decided to listen to the voice of God and to have eyes of faith to look at the bigger picture. I'll give to you one more point here as we're out of time. How do you overcome discouragement? You find another person whom you can serve. I want to read to you from this book, Acts of God. It says, when you're down and dejected, the healthiest thing we can do is to go serve someone else. Rather than being caught up in our own sorrows, carried away by self-pity, we keep a strong perspective by helping a fellow sufferer. It takes our mind off of our own struggles, and it also reminds us that others have problems too. You remember the first line of Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life? What was it? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. And it's about what can we do to further the kingdom 
How can we honor him? How can we help our fellow man? And if we will get out of ourselves, then God has a chance to do something special in our lives. Joseph was stuck in a prison cell unjustly. And he wakes up one morning and he finds two fellows who are down and out. And what's, you know, instead of saying, hey, (laughs) deal with it. I got my own problems to deal with. I'm not going to worry about your problems. You just find a way. That wasn't Joseph's attitude. Joseph walks over and he says, hey, what's wrong with you guys? Why are you so sad? Let me help you. He bloomed where he was planted. We can overcome discouragement if we just give attention to the instruction book given to us. Yeah, there will be times we give in. There will be times we fail. Lots of times. Thank God for His wonderful grace. Let's pray together. Thank you that you understand us, Heavenly Father. You made us. Your Son walked in our shoes. So, may we look to Him as our guide, as our deliverer from the dungeon. Give us the strength that we need and the grace. It's in his name we pray. Amen.